2: Hey, podcast world, welcome to episode number two of our special series that we're doing in cooperation with Kesney about the next normal in within the InsurTech ecosystem and world. Today, we are going to focus on the carrier perspective. And with us, as usual, is Lee Boyd and also our special guest and special guest host, Jen Byrne, from Kesney, How are you guys doing?
3: Doing great. Great.
2: Why don't you tell us, Lee, what we're doing today?
3: Well, I'm very excited. So as Rob said, this is episode two. And today we're going to visit with carriers who are really dealing with what we call the next normal, uh, life before the COVID pandemic and life after the COVID pandemic. Today we get a visit with Claudia Rodriguez. She's the VP of Insurance Claims of AAA, a longtime carrier. Uh, and then we get a visit with Kate Terry, COO of Surround Insurance. She has been with carriers for a long, long time, and now is an insurtech startup in the carrier space. am very excited to get their perspective on everything that's going on here. We really wanted
2: to bring in the female perspective on these issues. And so Claudia and Kate were generous enough to join us today. And as we said, we're doing that in conjunction with you, Jen, and, and your competition.
4: Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, and I would say what's terrific about this is to highlight that as part of our ongoing Female Founders in tech Innovation Competition and Mentorship Program, it's great to see Kate Terry and other leaders apply, advance, and actually win a prior competition and yeah. to join us with her story in particular as she has been on the carrier side, and now she leads a very important startup as a female leader in the industry.
3: Hey, Jen, why don't you tell us just a little bit about that competition? Isn't there one coming up here soon?
4: Yeah, we have an annual competition called Female Founders in InsurTech, which we set up to reward, support, and uh, recognize women-led InsurTech. Our program runs from June to September each year. And entrepreneurs have the opportunity to apply by July 26, after which the industry experts around the world will evaluate these submissions online. And then from there, we go into a mentorship and training and education module that better prepares entrepreneurs and those finalists for the final pitch event, which will take place again at InsureTech Connect this year.
2: So without further ado, let's go to episode number two of The Next Normal with Claudia Rodriguez from Southern California AAA and Kate Terry from Surround Insurance. Hey, everybody. We're back with our series that we're doing, and we have some carrier types with us today, some exciting guests that we're honored and privileged to have with us. We have Claudia Rodriguez from Auto Club Enterprises, Vice President of Claims. And Kate Terry, co-founder and COO of Surround Insurance, and we're here today to talk about the carrier perspective on what's happening in the marketplace today, particularly with a slant on COVID and the and the way that COVID nineteen has been affecting your businesses. So let's start with you, Claudia, and I'll just put it out to you: um, give us give us a quick overview of how COVID has come up and changed things at, at Auto Club?
1: Well, it's changed a lot. It's changed our priorities. You know, going into the year, we had several initiatives in place that we had to re-scramble and change our initiatives to focus on work from home. So that was the that was the big push that was really most of the first two weeks was how do you deploy You know, with 1,100 people to go work from home that had never done it before. So it really made us put other things on the back burner.
2: How did that go? 1,100 people moved home?
1: 1,100 people moved home. It actually went really well. We are surrounded by a great team here at AAA. We are tiered, where uh, claims is considered a tier one operation, similar to our emergency road service. So we get lots of attention when we need it from IS. And then I also have a department who, you know, works with our laptop deployment, et cetera. So it was a a lot of spreadsheets uh, over a couple of weeks, but we actually got all deployed and and for the most part, very, very successfully. So we're, we're proud of everybody's efforts and most of us working seven days a week, as you can probably imagine.
2: So we're recording this on June 4th. Are you guys back in the office yet? What Where are you as far as coming back or has anything changed about coming back?
1: Uh, That's a good question. So before COVID-19, we had piloted subrogation reps to work from home and that went well. So we have a permanent program for them to work from home, but they were really the only claims group uh, that had officially been allowed to work from home. We have not begun populating claims reps back into the office yet. We are going to start that uh, in about a week or two in a phased plan. I've got offices from Hawaii to Portland, Maine. So it's a pretty large effort to take underway. When we, uh, when we finish repopulating, it will be about half of the claims reps uh, because we want to maintain office space for, you know, social distancing, et cetera. So We'll continue to watch, you know, government guidelines, county guidelines as those move around and, and let things settle in for a while and then take this opportunity to pilot other uh, specialties to work from home permanently.
2: Now, Kate, w- when, when we had you on the podcast months ago, I remember that you were going to launch your product April 1st. Yeah. And some something else was going on April first, yeah. So talk about <laughs> COVID and surround.
0: Yeah. Well we didn't plan on a pandemic, which apparently nobody really did, right? Yeah, no, our our first concern though, you know, as a as a startup nearing launch was taking care of our people. And Jay, my co-founder and I had been out in San Francisco meeting with investors the very first week of February. And that was when COVID was starting to seem real. And we just came back and said we need to send people to work from home. So we sent everyone home before Massachusetts, which is where we're based, shut down and, and I'm I'm glad that we did. We're fortunate to be at a stage where we're nearing launch and so we'd already established a strong corporate culture. And one of the great luxuries about being in the Insurtech space now versus having been at a carrier for so long before this is that you know all of our systems are in the cloud, they're operable from, from everywhere. You know, we were able to continue working kind of on that technological level with nary a hiccup, which was amazing. I think what was harder for us was, you know, as we, as we all know, launching an MGA, especially one with that like ours, where we're innovating the product involves a lot of partners, Right. And so there's COVID itself, which certainly affected our partners in the same way You know that uh, that Claudia shared probably uh, for her organization. But then the other piece of it is some of our partners are reinsurers and issuing carriers or uh, carriers who have complementary products. And the stock market dive that happened at the same time whittled away at those insurance companies surplus, in some cases quite dramatically, right? And so we were watching the stock market going, wow. You know, uh, these folks are, have been supportive and strong and staunch partners of ours, and we're nearing launch. And is this just all going to fall apart because they don't have the surplus to do it? But we've, we're very fortunate. Um, the partners that we chose are, are strongly rated, had positioned themselves well, and it turned out with you know just a little bit of time to sort out how to work from home and <laughs> what to do when we can't finish up some of the processes in person. We're back on track for a summer launch. We're, we're feeling lucky compared to a lot of businesses.
3: That's wonderful. That's really good. I'd like to ask you both. And Claudia, we'll go back over to you. So during this time, you sent 1,100 people home to work. Uh, Before the pandemic, we've always heard of a lot of companies feeling that people always need to work at the office. And it sounds like you were starting to test out different groups who who could work at home. My question is, what have the uh, responses been from the employees? Have they enjoyed working from home? Do they want to stay working at home? And do they feel more productive at home?
1: Well, that's a great question. I think because of the scale, so my department is about 2,300 people. And before COVID, you know, our field reps have always worked from home, uh, as, as most carriers do. So we had obviously some experience with that It's interesting. We had some people raise their hand and say, may I please come back in? I can't work from home. And so we just were making sure obviously that we're maintaining our social distancing in the office. We had about 80% uh, working from home, 20% stayed in the office. So it's really been a wide range of feedback and input from the employees. We've had several managers who are, the managers are back for the most part now, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to see my coworkers. I have a very good uh, interactive relationship, I think, with all of the claims department. So some claims reps have sent me emails, you know, okay, now's the time. We're ready to work from home forever. You know, when are you going to let us do this? But we just need to take, I think, a measured response. And, and as I've told them, it's one thing to perform really, really well when you only have half the claims count, <laughs> which yeah. uh, we have to remind people of it's another thing to perform really really well with the full claims volume whatever that will mean in the in the future state so we've really had the the gamut uh, of responses from please let me come back tomorrow i can't take it anymore to some people who just didn't have the equipment you know the internet line etc to work from home to those who are glad to be back to those who are ready to stay there forever
3: well thank you very much claudia i agree that is, uh, that is very interesting to hear how how employees feel and and the different uh, views that other employees have. Kate, I'd like to direct it over to you. As a startup, uh, you probably had plans in place. You probably had an idea of how you are going to build your company, maybe a brick and mortar, maybe at home. Mm -hmm. Has has this shelter in place and COVID pandemic, has it changed the way uh, you view the future of staffing?
0: Yeah, it has. I mean, we had flexibility built into our culture from the start. That was an intentional decision that Jay and I made. And so we have employees who worked remotely either all the time or one day a week, but we didn't plan for pandemic and didn't think we were going to be here, uh, which is true, I think, of all of us. Um, the good news is though is that the great luxury of being in the startup space as opposed to in an established carrier where I spent most of my career is that we have brand new systems and platforms, you know, all of which can be accessed remotely from, you know, a secure laptop. So in some ways it's been easy and we were far enough along, you know, we've been working for a while on on building our product. Um, we had established company culture as as well. And certainly we're not going to move back to the office until we feel we can keep our employees safe and until they feel good as as well. What I think was more interesting is that, of course, as a startup in this space, you have a lot of partners, right? So we have partners who are reinsurers and issuing carriers and other carriers with complementary products. And... Um, there's not just the shelter in place order, which obviously caused some business interruption for some of them as they converted to work at home, but the stock market crash took out a significant percentage of, of some companies' surplus, right? And that might, that could change how they feel about working with startups. So we were really concerned about that as we just sat there and watched the market tank. But you know, we, we picked our partners carefully and well. We did due diligence long before anybody expected this. And all of them had made adequate plans so that they were ready to keep going once they hit the ground running. And you know, we're feeling very lucky in, in our partners and in where we are compared to where a lot of businesses are right now.
4: That's great. Both Kate and Claudia, I was curious about how COVID might have changed the product and services that you offer, perhaps open up opportunity, other challenges. And then also maybe a wish list of some sort now that we're operating in a more digital framework. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll start with Kate. How has the pandemic shaped your product and service offering?
0: Yeah, so you know one of the things that has always drawn me to insurance is that it really is a privilege to be with people at some of the worst moments in their lives, right, and to help them put their lives back together. And we were already focusing on an underserved consumer. So a modern consumer who doesn't want to buy a lot of the assets that property and casualty products were designed around, right? So if you live in the city and you spend most of your time biking to get to and from work, and occasionally you drive a friend's car, the industry has not made it easy for you to buy appropriate liability coverage for yourself, right? Or what happens when you get in a bike? Fortunately or unfortunately, what we're seeing is we think we think there's going to be a shift towards biking, walking, um, other forms of transit that involve being out of doors, reducing the risk, less carpooling, less driving around, etc. Um, and so our product is really perfectly positioned for folks coming out of this era, where where we see a little bit more concern is that we are distributing through intermediated channels, including independent agents. Many of our independent agents are having a really hard time right now, right? They are largely, a lot of them are bricks and mortar type storefronts. And I don't think it's anything new for me to say that this has not been a great moment for them. People aren't purchasing homes and cars, things that tend to drive foot traffic for them. You know, Our platform is completely digital. It doesn't require anybody to be in person to to sell or bind a policy. And so what we're trying to help our agents do is figure out how to work with our platform, which can be accessed remotely, but in a world where they're, you know, selling from their dining room, which they're not so so used to. So we're feeling very hopeful and we're feeling like we can offer a product that works for them at a moment when some of the more traditional products are a little tough for them. Yeah, you know, but we'll see what what becomes of that. Yeah, that's that's great.
4: And Claudia, from your perspective, this work from home environment coupled with consumers being at home, how has this maybe changed or adjusted the way that you're approaching claims in your business? Curious to get your thoughts. Sure. No,
1: thank you. So we did pretty quickly come up with an inspection guideline approach in the COVID environment. Obviously we wanted to make sure that the safety of our adjusters was first and foremost. And really what I'm going to refer to now is that the field aspect of adjusting, whether it was a property or a home claim, We had done some small pilots with some various inspection tools. Of course, those pilots exploded into our daily process, specifically for home claims. You know, if it was a large fire loss, we would still send somebody out Um, But we were encouraging our adjusters when they could to collaborate with our member to get the photographs or video from the member and allow us then to be able to desk adjust the claim. And that was a a new approach for us at at a large level. You know, our general perspective has been uh, over our history that we like to write our own estimates. We like the personal touch. You know, from our perspective, we're not a stock company. We are a member company. And so we had a little bit different approach to our general claims handling. So that was a pretty big shift for us to basically say, only go out and inspect something if you have to. And so we did that both in auto and home. We're just now kind of waking up and and getting more people out now. But that was a substantial change for us. And I think there were... Uh, different approaches from just the general population, depending on where you were, right? The, the feeling of a Californian, uh, I think, is different than, uh, some, to some extent, a feeling of a Texan or somebody from Missouri. And so there are regional differences as well with, with comfort levels of, of us visiting them uh, and interacting, et cetera. So it's, it's been an interesting challenge.
4: Oh, yeah, It sounds like you all have learned a lot um, over the last couple of months. Do you have a sense that you might apply what you've learned to other markets or create these new best practices and sort of this new norm based on what you've learned so far?
1: There's no question that we're talking about that regularly. Um, You know, we had been purposefully late to the photo base estimating, for instance, on the auto adjusting side. Again, we like that personal touch with our member. I think if you look at, um, you know, measurements like J.D. Power and other articles that were coming out in the industry, they're saying insure tech is good, but be careful. Don't jump all in if you're not ready to. You know, there are some people who still want to report their loss to a human being Uh, there are some who definitely want an online experience for first notice of loss so we are going to balance that i think we've had some good learnings i think we're definitely going to come out the other end uh, better and learn more but i don't see us any point in time going at least not in the immediate future you know 100 photo based estimating etc because there's obviously challenges you know with that as well high supplement rate you know, if the, if the photo base estimating tells you it's $4,000 and you cut that check for $4,000, it gets to the shop, they tear it down. Wait a minute, we found 4,000 more. That that inherently is not bad, but from a member perspective, you can see where a customer member might feel like, wait a minute, you owed me eight and you only paid me four, sure. you know, so how do you balance all those things? So I I do see us increasing our photo base footprint, but, but cautiously and that generally speaking is our approach
3: so claudia over the past couple of months as as you have been increasing that photo base estimate have the insureds been willing to do that or has there still been pushback saying i wish you could, you could come out was the assumption that 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 your insureds wanted you to come out and have that personal touch has that been realized is that real or is it that maybe they're okay with this moving forward
1: well, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, we actually suspended our member service surveys just because we didn't want people to think that you know, and and we didn't want to have any impression that our priorities were not in the right place so you know how are you doing are we at a nine or a ten when everybody was worried about their health and safety and their loved ones and their own lives so we suspended our surveys we just started our surveys back up about two weeks ago and when you don't know for two months what your member is going to say we were all very very nervous and so we just got the first batch of results in And the service scores are higher uh, than they've ever been in our history. Wow! So it's probably a couple things, right? A lower volume uh, means you can take extra good care of your members, and but on the other hand, I think that that shows the receptiveness uh, of Mm -hmm. our members to a new world and them understanding that you know we're trying to protect our health as well as theirs. And so I think so far uh, the feedback has been great. I've actually got more compliments from our members probably in this period of time than i would generally get as well wow
2: claudia you've been at auto club a long time and a long time executive there are there lessons you've learned from COVID? i mean as an as an executive that help you to think boy i'm going to steer this ship a little bit differently now perspectives that you've gained because of this like what we were just saying that that i think one of the things that we consistently heard is we've done the podcast through this period of time through the shelter-in-place time, that many people are pleasantly surprised by how willing their insureds are to work with them, send them photos, whatever the the case may be, to be more part of the process. So that's one example. But what do you think, from an executive viewpoint, what comes to your mind?
1: You know, I think we did a pretty good job. It was interesting in the beginning, you know, when you talk about how do you prepare for this. Uh, nobody was fully prepared for COVID, I don't think. You know, we had a business continuity plan, and we regularly exercised that business continuity plan from cyber security attacks to you know hurricanes to, you know, different weather events, wildfires, certainly for uh, California, you know, understanding that you need to think more broadly about your preparedness, because I was trying to tell, you know, our employees and, and managers who were having concerns about that, you know, we've been having business continuity planning. Fortunately, we did. Um, you know, we had lists of here's where people live and here's how we can deploy them and here's our deployment strategy, but we didn't have the nobody can leave their house strategy. <laughs> and I think mm-hmm. that was that was a wake up call, I think, to, to make sure that we were prepared for that. We did an amazing job, as you can imagine, having to deploy over a thousand people to work from home. But I think just the preparedness piece, now we will all have that in our head, right? I mean, everybody from here on out, certainly in our lifetimes, are going to prepare for what if nobody can go to work today? (laughs) Um, And that wasn't something that we had mentally planned on before.
2: No, I don't think any of us, I mean, I'll speak for our company, I don't think it ever crossed our mind.
1: Right. Right. And I think the other part of it was to me how to how to be careful you manage that message and in, uh, in a obviously open way, but literally, as everybody I think here knows, information was changing daily information was changing hourly you know when we have you know over 20 states we're operating in and you have the county that you know our office is in saying one thing and the the adjacent county saying something else there's nothing wrong with that uh, inherently wrong with that i'm sure everybody had good intentions uh, but that became very difficult to manage because now you're meeting all the time about well, what did Orange County say and what's happening in LA County. And I was sitting here in my office. Um, you know, I have the television on to watch weather, um, obviously. And you uh-huh. know, then I watched the governor give the order, and I was the only one who knew that in the building at the time because everybody else was in a different meeting. And just to watch that, that happen and, and be able to learn the the patience of uh, let the information come. Uh, and now, you know, obviously with the current, you know, civil unrest issues, we're prepared. We just said that the other day. Information's changing every day, information's changing every hour. Now we know how to deal with that because we just started dealing with that two months ago.
2: Right. I think that's a great point that we're, we're recording this in the middle of the civil unrest issues that are going on across our country now. And, but there's something that COVID kind of helped us get ready for that. Maybe it's flexibility. I don't know exactly what you would put on that. What, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think for claims people, um, we all understand that there's catastrophe response. So again, I think that was the other piece that probably made it easier for the claims department to adjust to that because we're used to, you know, a hurricane is hitting Houston, a hurricane is hitting Virginia. We're used to more working on the fly, but um, certainly I think the flexibility has been a large lesson for everybody.
2: Kate, what about you? What are what are your thoughts from the executive suite on this?
0: Yeah, I think two things. One is about preparedness generally, right? This is an industry that's generally been great at preparedness, but I think even some of us were caught off guard by pandemic, right? And I think about what our responsibilities are as an industry, right? We exist to allow people to dare great things without ruining themselves, right? Or to take the risks of daily life and to carry on when something terrible happens, those negative life lottery moments, whether they're in your business or uh, or in your home life. And so there are two directions I would go with that. One of those is there's a lot of uh, of discussion right now around business interruption claims, and maybe a lesser discussion uh, amount of discussion around workers' compensation claims directly related to either COVID or to the the demonstrations and some of the the violence that has occurred at the same time. And you know, it, it probably is the case that most of those business interruption claims will not be paid because they're not covered in the contract. I've seen a lot of voices in the industry talking about that about how important contracts are, how you know people should have bought something different years ago. I I don't disagree. You know, civil law is the foundation of our society. But in the same way that after 2000 the events of uh, of September 11th, uh, 2001 we figured out how to do tria, right, and how to figure out which piece is private industry, that is the insurance industry. Um, can handle and what are uninsurable risks that people still need to be protected against and that we as the commonwealth of, you know, the government need to deal with. And I'd like to see more industry leaders having that conversation. How do we make it so that if and when this recurs or something similar happens, you know, you don't end up with, you know, 40 million people unemployed. And then I'd also say, I mean, this isn't directly on, on topic of COVID, but In part, this reaction to the structural racism in our society is probably inflamed by the fact that there's so many people out of work, like for real, These are issues, and now it's coming to a head. And I look at our industry and I say, what have we done? This is an industry in which many of the frontline um, staff members are very diverse, right? I mean, you've got, if you think about the bulk of who works in the insurance industry, it's going to be call center folks. Claims adjusters of various sorts, premium auditors, lots and lots of jobs like that, right? They've been good, solid jobs um, that can lead to a middle-class lifestyle. They look a lot more like our society in general than the C-suites do, right? I stuck out as a woman in the carrier space, and I do even more in the insure tech co-founder space, um, yeah, I'm a white woman, and I carry that, that privilege with me. I would like to see us turn around and say, how do we think that this is a meritocracy if it doesn't actually even reflect the people who work in this industry? It is not. And when we deny people of a variety of different backgrounds and experience life experiences the ability to sort of weigh in and participate fully, we lose something both as an industry and not having the very best people at the top. Um, and as a society. And I'd like to see us take on our responsibility as an industry to fix that.
4: Yeah, Kate, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's a great segue to what I kind of wanted to get into, which is how do we take lessons from all of these experiences and prepare better leaders for the future? And I think, you know, Kate, you and I have talked a lot about lack of female leadership in the tech community as well as within the insurance community and yet we all know that diversity of thought yields better outcomes and we need to listen but we also need to train the future leaders and part of that from what we have experienced and seen is that mentorship can really make a difference and so i would be curious to hear um claudia maybe what are your thoughts on you know how did you get to where you arrived and what would be your advice for the future you and, and how can we bring more diverse leaders up to these organizations, um, whether through a mentorship program or other, any, any thoughts
1: yeah, so um, from my experience, actually, I have the the um, consummate Cinderella story. So I started off as the receptionist at the local claims office in the city I was born in. You know, answering the phones for the field adjusters that I would ultimately be the vice president of. But it didn't happen overnight. It took thirty years uh, for me to become vice president. And and really, in my career and training, it was each job I had. I kind of felt like, hey, can I I don't want to say this wrong to any former boss who might be listening, but can I do a better job than my boss? Uh, And can I offer maybe something different? And when I say a better job, obviously that's not at a personal level, but professionally, you know, what can I offer here? And so each job that I had, I kept thinking, oh, I can do, I can do a better job than that or I can offer something different. And then when I got to the level just before my promotion to vice president, it's a little bit different, all right, vice president, you're asked to interview. And so I was asked to interview and, you know, being at the club for 30 years and, and having managed every type of claim, essentially having handled every type of claim, I think is what sold it for my current boss, one of our staff officers. <laughs> at the end of the day, it was going to be hard to say, well, we can't pick her because what? And there was really no blank to fill in there. So I, I think that's part of it. We're actually leveraging the, the COVID opportunity to do training that we hadn't done. We were building some training, but we accelerated that You know, with people having less frequency, less claims. I've got 2,300 people who had less work to do. We've been stuffing them with lots of training. We became ICAR Gold Class as a carrier for the first time in our history. We actually intend to come out on the other end better. And so we are developing, the club had an official executive mentor program, so I have a mentee Uh, But I think having those sorts of programs and having diversity in your experience, I think was good because if you would have looked at my resume, you know, a decade ago, it really only had casualty. And then since then I had property and casualty and subrogation and other markets. And I think just being open to doing new and different things to build that resume is going to be a key component. And we, we need to own that development of those who, you know, want to sit in my chair or any of the other senior leadership roles.
2: Kate, any follow-up there?
0: Yeah, I think there's two things. So, yes, I think Claudia's point is a really good run around working hard and being as good or, or better than your boss, right? That's a cool way of putting it. And frankly, I was an SVP at a Fortune 100 insurer for a number of years before this pretty much everybody at a senior level worked really, really hard to get to where they were, right? You, you don't get a lot of lazy people who are at the VP level, right? You know, I, I think it takes a little bit more than that. I, I think it also takes sponsorship, right? It takes people more senior in the organization who are willing to take a look at you and, and see them, a younger version of themselves in you. And I think that that reaching out that hand and giving somebody who you know shows merit and talent and works hard and has the right attitude and inspires others, finding those people when they're a little bit more junior and and maybe if they're outside of your typical social network, they're not the people that you golf with or drink with or you know go to the basketball games with or whatever. Finding those people and giving them a chance, you know, giving them a role on a cross-functional team or asking them to take on a special project or giving them a chance to present in front of the president of the division. I think those actions go a long way to letting hardworking people show their merits. And it gives them a chance that they wouldn't naturally get because you know them socially. So I think that's like for me and for others who are senior leaders in the industry, I think that's something we need to do more of.
2: We're very appreciative that you guys took the time to be with us today. And I want to ask you one last question before we go. And that's looking out two years from now or so two, three years from now. Do you, do you believe that, that this experience that we've been through the last several months and that we're going through now, do you see it changing things or, or even an aspect as you look out far down the road is, is this something that we'll forget about when things go back to normal or will there just be a new normal? What are your thoughts on that? And I'll ask you first, Claudia, what you think.
1: Yeah, I think that for us, there's certainly going to be some new normal and certainly for the industry. I mean, the industry is is struggling with machine or person, right? And, you know, so how how quickly are we going to evolve? I think we're going to probably evolve more quickly to the machines with the person making the complicated decisions or the more complex claims decisions. But I see this environment, you know, speeding that process up. And then, you know, the other piece of it is, On the employee engagement side, I would expect that we're going to have some people uh, in the long run that that are going to work from home that didn't before. And how long is social distancing going to last, right? I mean, we're kind of taking the approach that as long as uh, social distancing is in place, we're going to leave some contingent at home. And that engagement of the employee at home, you know, and how does that work and is it effective and who are the right people from hiring, you know, people that have the equipment, the bandwidth, the a space at home to work from, all of those things. So I think it's it's going to be a new normal from hiring practices to employee engagement to claims adjusting. In some respects, in my guess is it is really, again, just accelerated that whole discussion, uh, at least from the club's perspective.
2: Kate, what about you?
0: Yeah, I'm an eternal optimist in terms of uh, humanity and human nature. And I think that there there will be a a new normal. I I hope it's a normal of more flexibility for employees that actually allows us to get more done as an industry and to better take care of our customers, while also allowing employees with all different kinds of life situations and preferences um, to thrive. And I also, I hope as an industry, we find ways to be more of a meritocracy, to bring in more voices that, that haven't had as much of a chance to speak and to develop the products that protect everyday people to a, a much greater extent in, in a changed world.
3: What a wonderful conversation today. That was That was great. I really appreciate both Kate and Claudia for being on on behalf of Rob and Jen and myself, we want to say thank you for for taking the time and we'll go ahead and wrap up this interview. Thank y'all so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, we want to thank you all for listening today. Along with FNO InsureTech and Kisne, we want all of our listeners to be aware of an exciting competition that's coming up that Kisne puts on, and that's the female founders of InsureTech. Jen, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? When is this going on? And, and when does it end?
4: Thanks, Lee. So the Female Founders and in Tech Innovation Competition and Mentorship Program runs from June 17th all the way through to September 21st. We have a three month process during which entrepreneurs can apply by July 26th online. And then between July 31st and August 9th, those applicants are scored by industry leaders uh, from around the world. Between August 17th and September 11th, the entrepreneurs prepare for their pitch, and they are mentored by a number of different experts in the industry. On September 21st, those top five finalists selected by the judges will actually present to a live audience, and the top three winners will be selected.
3: That sounds so exciting. Well, everybody listening, I hope that you can look that up and uh, see if there's any way that you can be a part or just keep your eyes out for the winners. And hey,
2: everybody, join us next week for our third episode where the focus will be
3: on the venture community. And with that, we can say goodbye, everybody.